All right. Hey, good to see you. Um, we have a, a fun one tonight. We have a fun text. I don't know if any of you guys read the, the passage beforehand, uh, but this, is, this will be fun. So uh, you may notice at NYA, we do uh, oftentimes what is called a topical sermon, a topical sermon series. We'll take, we'll take a, uh, like a, a specific topic we want to look at, and we'll pick a bunch of Bible verses that fit into uh, those different uh, verses. Uh, what am I even saying? We, we pick a topic, and then we, we find passages that fit under that, and then we explain the topic. You know, you can do a topical sermon, like on dehumanization. You look, okay, that's one, and then another verse, another week that shows that. So you have a topic as you're moving through the Bible. The other side, another way of doing preaching is what we've kind of been doing this fall, as we've been doing uh, what is called expository preaching, where you take a book of the Bible, and basically you just keep working through each little chunk as it goes. And so whatever the next verse comes, that's the one you deal with. Basically, we say, like, all the words are in here, so we might as well do something with it. We don't want to just pick and choose what we're going to preach on. So one of the joys of that is Andy uh, just so happened to be preaching this Sunday, so he couldn't prepare a message, so I had to prepare a message. And uh, the message I have to prepare today is one that I feel grossly uh, not qualified for. (laughs) Marriage. So, look, we, uh, we, we run. <laughs> It'll be fun. It'll be really good. Um, look, what I want to say is this evening, we're going to run to a verse that actually, for a lot of people, it's one of those verses that you come to in the Bible and we might skip past because it's the type of thing that causes us to recoil. When, when we see this, we say, actually, I'm, I'm not sure if I agree with the Bible on that one, and so I'm going to give that a pass, and we move on to the next verse. And so I'm going to read this to you, but I want to ask two things as we study this tonight. The first one is uh, I'm asking that you guys would have an open mind tonight as, as we explore this idea. We're going to be talking about the roles of men and the roles of women, in particular, what that looks like as Christians. So look, some of this might be different from what you've heard in the outside world. Some of this might be different from what you've grown up hearing. But I want you guys to uh, have an open mind tonight and engage with the text and see how we move through this and actually what this means. Um, because my job here is not to I mean, tell you uh, how to be married. My, my job is to tell you what the Bible says. Uh, and so that's what we're going to do tonight. And uh, the second thing is this. Uh, I'm not a woman. And I'm not married. So again, some grace in that. Uh, if anything I say that it's like, you know what? You wouldn't understand because you're not a woman. It's probably true. So uh, although I did grow up with a sister, so I can relate to watching uh, She's the Man. Yeah, see, there you go. Exactly. So anyways, let's, uh, let's read this text together. and We're going to study it tonight, all right? Colossians 3, verse 18 says, Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting to the Lord. Okay, that's enough for that. (laughs) Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents and in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. Bond servants, Obey in everything those who are your earthly masters. Not by way of just eye service, as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work hard as for the Lord and not for men, 
knowing that from the Lord you will receive an inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. For the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done, and there is no partiality. Perfect. Let's study this. By the way, I watched the notebook, so I'm an expert now. Here we go. Verse 18. I'm going to divide this up into three sections. The first one is this. A word for the women, a word for the men, and the third one is a word for all of us. Is it echoing to you? Can we fix that? Is it good? How's that? Okay. Better? My goodness, this is great. This is great tonight. Here we go. So, a word for the women, a word for the men, and a word for all. Here we go. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting to the Lord. Recoil. It's the type of thing that when I come across this verse, it just seems a little bit out of place, especially with growing up in the 21st century. Now, uh, to many of us, this sounds harsh. Let me explain what is going on. Last week, Andy talked, uh, he did a great job, two weeks ago, talking about uh, the fact that God puts rules in our life and in our lives and in the Bible that actually help us to flourish with one another in community. And as we, we seek to follow these things, uh, what happens is it's going to cost us something. We have to sacrifice, but they're in there for our good. And so let me read to you uh, just the ending of the verse in verse 14, just leading up to this passage here. It says this, And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you are called in one body, and be thankful. And then in particular, in verse 16, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. And so he's giving these instructions. This is how we live together as Christians. This is how we encourage one another. This is how we, we you know, get along. And so then he begins to actually explore this more. And this is what we see in verse 18 here. So while this sounds like a shocking thing, this is actually for our good and for our benefit. So this is the question. What does it mean to submit? And that's a good question. What does it mean to submit? Well, I'll tell you what it doesn't mean. It doesn't mean taking a look at this Bible and saying, oh, uh, wives submit to your husbands? Oh, woo! All the men are like, yeah, submit, woman! Give me a beer! That's not what this is talking about. People who do that are what we call morons. Okay? Look, people who do that, this is not what this text is ever advocating. Okay? This is not what the Bible communicates. I need you to hear that from the start. As you, as you hear this, this idea of submit is not that. People who, who look at this verse and say, it's, oh, it's about submitting women, they're more like ogres. It's disgusting, and that's not how this text means to portray this. What this means is not subjugation. Do you know what I mean by that? Subjugating and saying, I'm gonna, you're doing that. You're under someone's authority and there's, there's no grace, there's no nothing. This is a submission, a willful submission. Breaking this down, uh, there's a word there in the Greek, it says agapo. It's not agape, it's agapo. And what it says is this, it means to voluntarily put, under, voluntarily put oneself under another's authority. And it breaks down, pardon me here. Yeah, it means to voluntarily put one under someone else's authority. And so basically what this is, it's not about worth, it's not about value, and it's not about equality, okay? 
It's about an organizational structure that exists. Let me say that again. This, this verse is not about when you submit, ladies, this is not about your value or not being equal. This is about an organizational structure that God has put in place. Think of it kind of as uh, like a soldier in the army. There are different ranks in the army, and if you're like a sergeant, he can command the private where to go in the army. And the sergeant answers to the commander, and the commander answers to the general and so forth. All, all the guys in the army are equal. They're all soldiers fighting for the same team, but there's one who's in command, and there's, there's a structurally order. Or, for example, think of in uh, Luke 2, where Jesus submits to his parents. Is Jesus less valuable? Is he less equal than his parents? No. He's Jesus Christ, right? He's, he's the God-man. He's the third member of the Trinity. Of course he's not less valuable. If, if anything, he should be more valuable. But no, what Jesus sees, he says, this is the way that God has designed things to be, that I'm to submit to my parents, and so I'm going to put myself underneath their authority. So what this means here is that in marriage... Wives are to say, I'm going to follow submissively under my husband. I'm going to put myself under his trusting authority. Now, this entails receiving this role and affirming the husband as he seeks to lead his wife, as he seeks to uh, have her under him, and, he's, and she's submitting to him. Everything he's doing, he's saying, okay, um, I need to be affirmed in this. I need your help. So this is not that she is not equal with the husband. God, at the beginning in Genesis, God creates man and woman, and he, he repeats it. He says, in his image, he made them male and female. Like, they're equal. Their roles look different. And you see that immediately in Genesis uh, when Adam and Eve sin. Eve's the one who takes the apple first, and then Adam sins. But who does God hold responsible? He calls to Adam. Hey, Adam, where are you? Adam! What basically this is talking about is this idea of headship that we see throughout the Bible. The idea that you, there's a head, oftentimes in a family, that head is the male. And, and God is going to hold that male responsible for what happens in the rest of the family, for the spiritual climate of the home, for the financial climate of the home, and the emotional climate. Is he, is he taking care of his family? Because God's going to hold the male responsible to that. And it's the woman's job in the marriage to help and help him to accomplish that end because he's going to stand before God and he's going to be responsible for all that he's done. And my understanding is, as I've been talking with people, is that deep down a lot of women want this. And I, and I don't think that a lot of girls want to be treated uh, like one of the boys. You know what I mean by that? Like you don't want to... Have you ever been out with a bunch of the guys? Because you've, you've only seen like 30% of what the guys do when they're together, Okay? <laughs> Slapping butts, hotboxing the car with sushi farts, and, uh, <laughs> yeah. That's enough. I mean, you, you, gotta, you understand? Okay. Look, guys are animals that need to be, uh, <laughs> something needs to happen. They're, they're <laughs> and oftentimes they change when they meet a girl. Funny how that works. So, um, Look, you, you don't want to be like one of the guys. You want to be distinct as a woman. Um, Andy was sharing this week. He says, he says like, when I talk to Nancy, he's like, if I call Nancy bro or dude, she's like, I'm not your bro. I'm not your dude. I'm your wife. 
And so, look, my understanding, and I hope I'm right here, ladies, you don't want to be just one of the guys. You don't just want to be punched like one of the guys. Okay? And this is a good, this is a good thing. But we want, to, we want to be equal. And that's something that we advocate for, right? So you see, uh, in the 1960s, you see an enormous rise in feminism, right? Because women couldn't vote. Uh, women had no say. They had no voice. They were seen as completely lesser. And so advancements in women being able to vote, advancements in, uh, in this area and them having a voice and being able to have equal opportunity in the workplace, we'd say these are good things. But let me tell you something that I think the world gets wrong. They say that your value is placed in what you do. They say your value is in what you do, not in who you are. Your value is in your job in this position that you have, not in who you are as a person. And so there's an identity issue here. One of the things that we see in this, too, is that uh, it creeps into the, uh, the Bible and the church. And this is more of a recent phenomenon, in fact. And it's coming only the last 50 years. This idea that before, there, there was an understood idea that there would be a, structural, uh, within, a structure within the marriage, within the household. And in the last 50 years, as the rise of feminism has happened, people have basically taken a look at the scriptures and said, um, do you know what? Th- this doesn't really apply to, any, to us anymore. Uh, this is archaic. Why do we trust a book that's 2,000 years old? Okay, we're not, we're not following this anymore. This is the past. And so we've, we've progressed. We've moved past it. And so, but what we have here is, we, on the other side, you say, well, what, is, what does the Bible say about this? And what does, you know, the 1,900 years of tradition leading up to it said? And, and what does the text actually mean to indicate and, and say to us? And I think it's very interesting because it's, it's sad when, when, a, when a woman says, hey, I want to just be a mom. And the world says, actually, no, you shouldn't be. Like, why should they be fearful to say, you know, I want to take part in this highest calling of being the mom and, and being like the backbone of an entire generation? And the world says, actually, no, you, that's, that's kind of the worst thing you could do is to be a mom. You should be climbing that corporate ladder. To me, there seems like there's something wrong there. And I think the Bible will say that too. What the Bible will say about this is that your value is not tied in what you do, but it's tied into who you are. Your value is a human being. And the roles that God assigns do not define your value. What modern feminism says, it says this. It says, in the world, I'm not valued or cherished. I'm not valued or cherished. Therefore, I won't submit. But what Christian womanhood says, it says, in Christ, I'm more valued and cherished than I could ever imagine. Therefore, because I know this, I will submit. Because my identity is in a good place, I can submit. And I can live into the promise into the, this, and trust in the way God has set things to be. Ladies, you have to understand, this is, this is a command by God to you that you're going to have to wrestle with. Will you obey God in, when he asks you to actually submit to your husband? Now, I, you can go into a whole bunch of different circumstances where maybe, yeah, it's actually appropriate for you to get out and be not be submitting. Um, but that's what I'm talking about. I'm talking about when things are ideal and circumstances are good. Will you be submitting to your husband? We listen to what the world says about you or what the Bible says about you. I think one of the interesting things is if you take feminism and this equality and you make an idol out of it, that idol is only going to leave you empty. It only just leaves you empty. You chase it, you chase it, you chase it, you chase it. But it only 
leaves you sad. You can never have the equality that you, you wish you could have because men are just too abusive. Men can be monsters. So the question to you, ladies, is uh, will you listen to the, what the world says about you or what the Bible says about you? And will you trust in God's plan just like Jesus trusted in God's plan? And if you do that, you get to enter into a beautiful pattern that you see throughout the scriptures where the, the, the wife submits to the husband and the husband submits to Christ and you see the church submit to Christ and you see Christ submit to the Father. And you get to enter into that, into this beautiful structure of how things are intended to be before God. Will you trust in God's plan? That was just for the ladies. This is for the men here. A word for the men. Here we go, verse 19. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Love your wives and do not be harsh with them. You guys got to understand that Ephesians 5 says something very, very similar. It says this. Wives, submit to your own husbands, as to the Lord. It says, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body and his himself as Savior. What this basically is saying is you're the leader. You're the head of that family. They're looking to you, men. They're looking to you for leadership. They're looking for you for spiritual leadership. Are you going to take care of us? That's what, that's what ladies are looking for here. This is what's in question. This is the, the balance that they're trying to figure out. Are you going to be that guy who's going to take on headship? It talks about this idea, the Greek word of agapo. Here it is. I lost it earlier, but I found it. This is what it means, agapao. It says, to have a strong, non-sexual affection and love for a person and their good as, understand, as understood by God's moral character, especially characterized by a willing forfeiture of rights and privileges in another person's behalf. Are you sacrificing so that she may flourish? What this ends up happening, actually, is this, yeah, you're the head, and the wife is submitting, but you are self-sacrificing, and you're putting yourself under so that she may flourish. You're putting her on the pedestal and saying, everything, all my efforts are so that you may flourish. That's what headship is, and that's what headship done well is. But in many ways, I think we've actually failed at this, and this is why we've needed modern feminism, because for the most part, men haven't advocated for women. They've abused them. And, uh, and now you have women speaking out against this, and basically, we failed. I don't know, a lot of you have probably been paying attention. Social media, there's been the whole the Harvey Weinstein thing uh, with him just assaulting and abusing women, and now there's accusation of lots of women coming forward and saying, actually, yeah, I've just completely been maligned and abused by men. And there's the Me Too thing. And it's just amazing to see how many hashtags come out with guys who are just taking advantage of ladies. It's disgusting. It's sick that this happens. We're called to make women flourish, and they still aren't. So we have to figure out how to do that, men. We need to grow up from being boys, for the most part. And we need to become men. We were boys, and the phrase goes, you know, but you're, but you're not a man. You're just a boy who can shave. And I think it begins in our singleness. God is calling us to grow up and take some responsibility and to take some sacrifice. Are you going to grow up? Are you going to be the kind of man who takes responsibility for his life 
and is setting up to, to be a person who's going to sacrifice for others, for your wife, for your community, are you going to be someone who just sits in this basement and all you do is it just serves you as a selfish person? As we come to Remembrance Day uh, tomorrow, uh, I can't help but think of uh, all the men who went forward and sacrificed. Do you know there's, uh, there's a show called Band of Brothers? Has anyone seen that? Band of Brothers, if you don't know, was an HBO miniseries uh, based on a book, which was based on a group of real guys. Uh, there's a group called uh, the 101st Airborne, and they were the most elite trained soldiers that the United States sent uh, during World War II. And these guys, uh, they fought some of the bloodiest battles that happened in the war. In particular, there's one in Bastogne where they're sitting out in the cold, and uh, they're, they're guarding this line, and they, they have, like, not winter equipment, okay? They still have, like, their summer clothes, but it's snowing and it's minus weather, and they're just sitting in these little foxholes as they're just getting mortars shot at them through the night. And they're supposed to go take this little town of Foy down, down the street. And they can see it in the distance, but they can't get to it because uh, the enemy's in a trench just on the other side. And so they sit there all winter. What happens is in, in, the, in the show, they talk through Easy Company, who is the division, and the, the show focuses on them. And what they talk about is this guy whose name is Lieutenant Dyke, now, Lieutenant Dyke is the guy who's in charge. He's the head of this division. But one of the things they notice is they keep saying, you know, every time that something bad would happen, we just noticed Lieutenant Dyke wasn't around. Lieutenant Dyke was this guy who came from uh, the United States. He graduated from the great, like, the military school, West Point, and he was in charge of this division. But anytime, like, the fire came, anytime the enemy was firing upon them or anything went bad, he was gone. And you, they, you, just, you just never had him around. So no one really respected him, but yeah, he was still in charge. Anyways, here comes the time where they have to go take the town of Foy. And so Lieutenant Dyke, they brief him. Luke Dyke, you ready to go? Yeah, 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 I'm ready, I'm ready, ready. And they're all sitting there. He's not ready. He just wants to get medals and, and work his way out of here and you know, get the next rank up. So he's going to go through this battle. Hopefully that he'll get a promotion and get out of there. So the battle starts and they run down there and, and Lieutenant Dyke just freezes up. And he has no idea what to do. And just fear takes over, and, and he's just ill-equipped. And he's like, oh, guys, go over there. Oh, guys, go over there. And basically, he sends one division around completely to the other side of the town. Like, they're completely cut off, and the battle's just going terribly. And, and you see in the, in the scene, there's this guy, Major Winners, who's in charge of this whole operation, and he's watching his guys get killed. And he's yelling at Dyke, 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 come on! And, and he's frozen there, and so, he, like... He's going to go run down and take the charge. And the general's like, yeah, no, if you do that, you're going to die and we'll all die. And so he, uh, Lieutenant Winters, Captain Winters, looks towards uh, this other guy, Spears. He says, Spears, get over here. And he calls to Spears. And he, spe- he says, Spears, go take over. So what, what does Spears do? He was just another soldier there. He was known to be quite, um, quite aggressive in his demeanor and his, in his combat ability. He just runs down the hill. And it's this great scene as you just see him charging forward and there's like an explosion that goes in front of him. He just jumps through the smoke and he runs down and he looks at Dyke and Dyke's just shivering and sitting there. He's like, I'm taking over, Dyke. And he looks forward to his other guys say, okay, what's, what's the plan? What's going on? Tell me what's happening. And they say, they say, what's going on? We got a guy over here. We're, we're cut off. He says, okay, great. You guys on me? You on me? We're going. And then he goes and he leads the way and he charges down the road. And, and they get to a certain point where he's sitting down and says, we still have another division over there, Right. And they're winning the battle at this point. He said, yeah, but they're completely cut off. They have no idea what's going on. And he says, okay. And the next thing they know is they just see Dyke get up and run. And what they notice is that Dyke just, he's just running past Germans. Like, uh, he's just sprinting. And they're saying, for a minute, the Germans just stood there and watched him run past him. <laughs> and they were confused. And then they started shooting him, but it was too late. And he jumped across the wall, and he linked up with his guys. 
And then they said, the crazy thing was, after he linked up with his guys, he came back. And you see him again run past all these guys. He doesn't shoot anyone. He gets back to the thing. And, and they end up winning the battle. Look, what am I saying here? I'm saying, men, we need to be like spears. We need to be guys who see a problem and say, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to initiate something. I'm going I'm to try and make a difference in this area. I'm going to sacrifice myself. I'm going to sacrifice, uh, you know, maybe your life. Especially like when you're talking in the war, right? He, he was looking there. He's saying, I'm going to go sacrifice. I might die here, but I'm going to take control, take command of this. There's an issue here. I'm going to take it. So, look, do you want to be a, a Spears or do you want to be Lieutenant Dyke? Of course we want to be a Spears. And so, look, I think there's three ways that we need to grow up into a guy who's self-sacrificing. And, and three areas that we need to work on so that we can be someone who, who moves forward. First way is emotionally. Guys, a lot of us in here need to own our sin and we need to own our past. We need to own it and say, yeah, this is what I struggle with. Anyway, we now need to say, this is what I'm actually doing battle against and this is where I'm going to have victory. And you fight towards that victory. You own it. Better now that you, that you fight it and have victory now than, God forbid, when you get married and you have to, you know, she's going to know everything or you're just going to hide it from her like a coward. No, you, you fight it now. You become emotionally ready. You become someone who is actually willing and able to look after a wife and look after a family and be able to provide. You don't run away from conflict. You say, there's a conflict. I'm going to deal with it. And if, if someone has an, an issue with me, I'm going to initiate. I'm going to make, make it right with that person. If they don't forgive me, fine, but I'm going to be the kind of person who is known for initiating and taking, taking charge and taking control of this. So emotionally, we need to grow up. Financially, uh, we also need to grow up. Look, you don't need to be Bill Gates. But what, what, I'm, what I'm saying here is you need to be in a place that you're setting up for a future. You're setting up and saying, you know what? I might be working this dead-end job right now, but it's serving a purpose because it's put me through college. Or maybe you're, you're working at a job, you're like, you know, I don't need to go to college. College is helpful for some jobs. But in the meantime, I'm actually going gonna, gonna to work here and I can actually get promotions. And I'm aiming towards something. And I'm spending my money wisely. I'm not just blowing it on whatever I feel like. I'm actually trying to save up and make wise investments with what, with what I have, with what God has given me. And the third way is Spiritually. We need to start taking our faith seriously. We need to own our faith. It's really sad when you see churches that have families where the, the, the husband just drops off the, the mother and kids and the mother takes the girls to church. And they never once see the dad in the living room with his Bible open, reading. Do you know what kind of impact that might have on a kid? To every morning he wakes up and he sees his dad there with the Bible open, He's there with his wife. They're praying together, and he's leading her in that. He's initiating in that. Part of this growing spiritually is you're surrounding yourself with community. You're surrounding yourself with accountability. Guys who are going to encourage you and other guys who are going to rebuke you when you're wrong. And then you take that rebuke and you improve and you repent. Are you growing in that area spiritually? Are you dying to yourself 
and flourishing for you and your family. And this starts now, guys. It starts now. I mean, some of you are married, and you're starting to understand this. A lot of us here are single. And this has to start now. This idea that the, the habits you put in play now are going to lead toward who we become. You are who you're becoming. So put the habits in play now so that when the time comes and you need to put them into practice, you have the disciplines in place. I think it starts also, one of the ways you can see this is, how do you, how do you treat your mom? Do you treat your mom with respect? Do you care for her? Do you love her? Or how, how do you speak to the server at the restaurant? We need to improve on this drastically as a people, as a culture, and I think Christians need to be the ones who lead the way in this. I think a helpful way of actually of this is thinking about how do you, how do you want to be remembered when you die? Like, what, what's the legacy you want to leave behind after you die? What do you want people to say about you? This really struck home to me this week um, with the police officer, John Davison, who died. I, I knew this guy. He was like, he was in my school, and every lunch hour he'd be there. He'd be meeting with people. And I remember at prom, when no one wanted to go to prom with one of the kids who had special needs, he, he went up to that kid and he said, hey, dude, how would you like to come to prom with me in the Hummer? And he took him to, to prom in this Hummer. He made this kid's year. He made this kid feel valuable. And you look at the testimonies of all the people who have been posting on Facebook about this police officer who said he was a sacrificial man. Everything he did, he was doing for the sake of others. And because we lost him, because he's died, it's devastating because we lost a bedrock in the community, someone who was self-sacrificial, someone who loved others well. And he's remembered fondly. Yeah, he's gone from us too soon. But I haven't, I've yet to come across someone who said, oh, yeah, uh, I'm glad that he's gone. It's not the case. We, his legacy that he's left behind is a remarkable one. And man, I, what I want for you is I want you guys to be able to, when you die, your family to say, you know what? This was a, an amazing way that he treated us and loved us all these years. He led the way in so many different ways. Leave a legacy, guys. And this starts with maturity. Here we go, point three. A word for all. So I've been talking a little bit about identity. And as a Christian, your identity isn't in question. You're heirs to the kingdom. Therefore, live in such a way that honors and brings glory to the kingdom of God. And so what we see here is in this verse, in verse 28, it says, or verse 20, Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. Bondservants, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily. As for the Lord, not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive an inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. For the wrongdoer will be paid back what is wrong, what he has done. There is no partiality. Look, here's the big idea. When your identity is in Christ, every, every act of work that you are now doing, you're not, yeah, yeah, you're working for an employer, yeah, you're working for someone else, but most importantly, you're, you're a person of the kingdom, so you're working for Christ. So in that, give it your all. And so I love this here when it says this idea of um, not by way of eye service, this idea that behind, behind closed doors, you work hard, not because... Um, 
you know, they're watching you, you're trying to earn favor with your employer. No, you work hard because you're a Christian. As a Christian, you work hard because you serve a good God and he's worthy of your work. What would it look like if our work was worship and everything that we did? Maybe you're working a, like a dead-end job right now and it sucks and you're, maybe your boss is just horrible. But what if that boss after you left said, huh, there was something very different about that person. I wonder what it was. I think there's two ways that we can do this. One of them is honoring the social structure you're under. So you see children here. It talks about children obeying your parents and everything for this pleases the Lord. For this time, if you're a child, right, your kids, one day, they're, they're serving unto you, and that's, that's worship. They're worshiping God. That's the way God is He's asking them to live. And, uh, and in another way, too, this idea of the bondservant that comes up here, this idea that, uh, you know, they're working, the slave is working. It's a different type of slavery that you see in the ancient world, right? You're a bondservant, you're working off a debt for a person. Um, but it says you work hard for them because you work for Christ. Do your best to your ability even if no one is watching. Uh, my dad has a great line about this. He, he said, you know, back in the day I was working at 7-Eleven doing the night shift. And during the night shift, uh, one of the things would have to go scrub toilets. He said that was the worst part. But I did it because the way I looked at it, he said, I'm scrubbing toilets for the kingdom. I'm, I'm, st- I'm scrubbing Jesus' toilets. <laughs> so look, you might be scrubbing toilets, but it's kingdom work. So whatever you put your hand to, men and women, whatever you put your hand to, may it be for the Lord. Now, there's everything in us that doesn't want to do this, though, because we live in such an individualistic thing. And it's such a, there's just a tension there because we want to do what's easy. We want to do, we, we're just, we feel lazy. I don't want to put in the work. I don't want to scrub the toilets. But we need to break through with that. We need to break through that because when we know Jesus, Jesus crushes our selfishness and says, look, you're more loved than you could ever imagine. And because you're more loved than you could ever imagine, Share that love with other people, and that comes even to the smallest task that you do. Into the smallest areas, show that love to everyone in whatever area you have. Do you guys see the contrast there? Do you see the contrast that when your identity isn't in value, you have no problem scrubbing toilets? Jesus knew his identity, and so he had no problem washing his disciples' feet. He had no problem serving other people because he knew, yeah, I'm a citizen of the kingdom. I'm, I'm Jesus Christ, is what Jesus knew. But as Christians, right, we should take the same idea that we have no problem setting ourselves below others to serve them because we, we know the one we serve. We're part of the kingdom. Look to close. This text calls for men um, to become mature men, guys who are going to lead well, guys who are going to lead their family well and serve them well, self-sacrificially. This text calls women to trust in God's way. As hard as that sounds, will you trust in God's way? Finally, it calls us all to serve one another well. And look, if we do this well, people are going to take notice. They're going to ask, what is it that you believe that causes you to live this way? And that's an avenue for us to share the gospel with them. Let me pray for us. Father, as we study this text and I bumble my way through this, Father, um, I ask that these words, that your eternal words would have root in us and that we take this and learn from it. Lord, may, we, may this be the beginning of our lives and a trajectory that follows you and glorifies you, Lord. And as we help each other flourish, Lord, may others take notice and may we be able to help change the world 
and change the injustice that we see against women, Lord. May you raise up a generation of people who would value each other as equal, Lord, but would live into the roles that you've given us. We love you and we praise your name. Amen.